and that binary is where we get caught. It's like it's either old or new. Mm-hmm. Where really, if we're all in this together and we're all trying to create a better world that's transformed in the power of love and acceptance, then we need to listen to all the voices, right? We need to listen to the voices that are coming up just as much as the voices that have got us here in the first place. a leadership development organization for transformational leaders. Find out more about us at thefaithspace.org. We are your hosts, Kate Newell and Dylan Doyle-Burke. And today we are talking about misconceptions of leadership. I think we all have a certain idea of what the classic leader might look like. And today we're going to question that and see if there might be other ways or other visions of leadership that we can breathe into the world. Oh, I love this. I love interrogating the status quo. Yeah. So I'm excited we get to do it with leadership and styles and how it shows up and really what it looks like, how it appears in the world. Because the truth is, is that the way that leadership is showing up in the world right now is so different than it was even, you know, 20 years ago, but especially 50, 100 years ago. Well, God, I hope so. We're not British and <laughs> there's not a king over <laughs> I mean, some of us are still British. <laughs> no offense to anyone British. <laughs> if you're no, British, that's just fine. If you're a British leader, that's that's wonderful. We support I mean, you. This, like hierarchy. Of course, I, I pray it looks different now, too. Mm-hmm. And also our, our corporations and our organizations and our churches and our communities and our certainly our politics and our government looks quite different Absolutely. I was, um, the other day I was looking at the uh, CEOs of of the Alphabet Corporation, which Google is a part of it. And there was a list of where they are currently, of who those individuals are currently, and a list of who they were uh, when it was just the, the single Google Corporation just you know a few years ago. And the difference in the identities, which previously was a lot more white and male, now has become so much more of a, a rainbow of folks, both in terms of color, but also in terms of gender and other expressions of identity. Um, and I think that's happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think it's happening across the board. And I don't think that we always give it the, the credit that it deserves. I think our ideas of leadership are still rooted in this 20th century idea, uh, which was generally white, generally male, and had a general particular style of leadership. Oh, yeah. The suit. We all know. The suit. The power suit. Yeah. I mean, that show Mad Men was so popular mm-hmm. for so long. It's like, this is how you do business, especially in the U.S. And then the, and I think so much of the world really responded to that and said, oh, this is how we do business. <laughs> uh, there's so many different opportunities uh, nowadays to, like you said, have it look differently. And I think that when it looks differently, it allows people to operate differently, to respond differently to different styles of leadership and be empowered and inspired in a very different way when we're designing leadership intentionally and not accidentally. And I think that that's what's so cool about what uh, Google has done. Yeah. And, you know, I do, I love Mad Men. Ooh. I'm a big... You had to come back to the... I just, the, I just, I mean, I just, you, you mentioned Mad Men, like, God, I, I love that show. There's just something very, you know, appealing about, like, the power dynamics within the show, because I think even in the show, this is not a Mad Men podcast, but I think even in the show, there's a certain level of interrogation, because all of the characters are tragic characters to a certain degree. Yes, like, that's what capitalism does. Well, that's right, but but it's like, it, it, it points out in a particular way. Um, please join us in a few weeks in our Mad, Mad Men uh, podcast. No, 
not having that. We're not, we're not launching a management <laughs> podcast. Um, but for ourselves as well, right? For So we're, we're two leaders. We started this uh, organization called The Faith Space. This podcast is part of it, along with our coaching and other elements. And so we, we are leaders to a certain degree in our field. And we, throughout our careers, have constantly had to stare into this gulf of what people thought of us, thought we did as leaders versus what we actually did and who we actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate, I'm wondering if you had any experiences like that in your... Oh, never. Never, okay. It's never been, No. <laughs> I don't... It's hard to convey sarcasm over a podcast <laughs> when you can't see someone's, like, deadpan face. Mm-hmm. It was certainly deadpan. It was. It was the, the deadest of pans. second, That's though. Right. <laughs> I have a really hard time with sarcasm. It mm-hmm. sticks for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh... I think that actually was a leadership style for a long time. It was was mm. very deadpan, very sarcasm, very uh, hierarchical, top-down. Mm. Um, it's often a man, right, just kind of dictating, just telling people what to do. Well, you worked in politics for a good chunk of time, especially right out of high school. Mm-hmm. Is that some of the leadership that you experienced, that more classical, like, suit style of leadership? Definitely. Oh, that's a tough question. Yes and no. I did work for one woman, a senator, and then I worked for two white men who were both reps. Um, That's a tough question because even the men, though, I would never work with someone who is conventional. And I think that I don't last long in a conventional environment, which Mm -hmm. is also why I liked politics. Mm -hmm. Because even though there are some conventions, it is a fast-paced world, and every day is different, and that's my favorite kind of leadership is something unique, a, new, a different kind of problem and conversation and community to work with every single day. Um, so I think that classic leadership is often, especially with politicians, focused on problem-solving. But I think that asking good questions and opening up the conversation, that was actually the huge difference that I saw between the two men I worked for and the woman senator, because she was not hierarchical and really empowered me to basically run her office. I was her chief of staff, and um, it was really, really wonderful to witness that process. She always had stakeholder meetings, and that's something that the men didn't do as much. She wanted to bring everyone that the, that any of her bills impacted all to the table. So it was very collaborative. It was, and sometimes some groups were like, you know, after this whole meeting or multiple meetings, they would go, I still basically hate your bill. This is stupid. And she would go, thank you so much for coming. Like, I'm so glad we, at least I know that you hate it. At least I know that you're going to lobby against it. Like, namaste. I'll see you uh, in the Senate chambers later or whatever. I love that you mentioned the word uh, conventional or conventional leadership because I, um, when I was in college and then right after college, I started interning at the United Nations, especially in the faith-based area. But, you know, I got to go to General Assembly and all of these different areas and take on different leadership roles in that. And uh, the United Nations at the time, for me, as like a 19-year-old, I was like, this should be the future of the world. You know, it's all that, it should be that collaborative space of all the different countries coming together and solving the world's problems. And then- Yes, that's what I view on TV. Right. Tell me that's the case, I mean, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Once again, sarcasm. Yeah. Um, So so then I I arrive, right, as this uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed person, kid, basically, um, out of college and realize that, oh, my God, no. Um, The idealism that I had of how this collaborative space worked was so much more conventional than I thought. It was a lot of folks 
granted from all different faith backgrounds, all different um, places from the world, all different countries, but it was the same style of leadership. And of course you had some wonderful leaders that were in certain pockets there, but by and large the way that things happened, I mean it even goes down to the structure of the Security Council, it comes into this veto. Um, and if you look again at who is on some of those uh, power positions, it's mostly men of a certain age that are speaking on behalf of their entire country mm -hmm. um, and saying no, <laughs> right? Well, and we see the same thing in uh, Washington with room, rooms of all white men making decisions over reproductive mm -hmm. rights of women. And I think that that's been beautiful to watch uh, in just the past couple years. It's still being done because we have a Republican president, but in many other facets of this country, women are now at the table and people of color are now at the table and queer people are now at the table uh, they've never been before. And it's shifting so much more than just the outcomes. It's shifting the goals. It's shifting the process of how we do leadership. I also want to say that I worked at the state capitol in Colorado, which is very different than Washington, which I can't, like, I always tell people I will never work in Washington because it's so different because I actually got shit done. In Colorado, and I feel like not a lot of stuff ever happens in D.C. So I can't imagine at the U.N. because that's even a step further, I think. So the bureaucracy... It was intense. It was Sad. just intense. I mean, the red tape was just everywhere because you have all the red tape happening in the individual countries, and then, you know, you bring them all together, and it's just, it's like uh, you ever, I don't know if you, this this reference may not work for you, but mm -hmm. like in professional wrestling, right, especially in Mexico, so like Lucha Libre style wrestling, right, when there's someone uh, that is really, you know, loved by the audience, so I was down in Mexico City at some point, what the crowd does is they get these streamers, right, and they, a lot of them are red streamers, and they throw them into the, into the ring, right, and then you have the janitor that comes up and clears it out, but they throw them on top of the wrestler because they're in such, you know, love with, with the wrestler, such fans of them. Anyway, just imagine all those streamers coming into a professional wrestling ring, and that's how much red tape was over in uh, the United Nations when, mm. when I was working there. But one thing that you mentioned, professional wrestling in Mexico aside, uh, is the fact that you and I both came into positions of leadership at remarkably young ages, like in our teens. Mm -hmm. um, and for you in politics, um, for me more in like nonprofit justice work. Uh, but for me, one of the major Politics misconceptions is basically nonprofit justice. That's true. Let's be honest. <laughs> Especially how, how I much was you're paid. paid. <laughs> basically nothing, <laughs> and it was very justice oriented. So. But for us, like at least for me, one of the major misconceptions when I was in leadership as a teen and then as a young adult was that I wasn't a leader because I was young. So the spaces that I was in, everyone always thought that I was the intern, or everyone always thought that I was the high school student, um, and I didn't have facial hair at that point, so I looked even younger, and people just didn't give me any authority because it was an older person's game. And I'm wondering if you had a similar experience as a young person in leadership. Oh, definitely. I also think that now people are noticing that there aren't young people, finally, but I notice now that they're inviting people to the table who are young, but they're not actually giving them leadership roles. So it's like 
cute. Like, oh, you're, you're invited. Like you finally get an invite after all these years, but we're still not actually going to give you any power. And I love what you talked about with the red tape. I'm not sure if I resonate with, uh, wrestling, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but that's a good visual of like literally consumed and like fighting through all that red tape. I, I truly believe there's so many wonderful leaders out there in the world Mm -hmm. wanting to do good work, who are ethical, who are holistic, transformation central and yet it's the rules of the system it's the 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 bars to the cage that really uh, keeps great leaders often stuck and for me what I love about all the systems I've been in I've found two things the space and really cultivated who I am and being very clear about that. And I think that that a lot of the no's that I got and a lot of the limitations that I got, especially from being young and being a woman um, and being a very opinionated person my whole life, uh, people are like, why are you here? And why are you saying all these things? Wait, um, you're opinionated? Oh, no, I know. No, Shocker. No, I know. You never thought we're that. Just, we're just drenching this episode in sarcasm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but can you can you actually, if I can just put a pin in what you said, because something that I didn't experience as a young person was I was a young man in, uh, I guess, negotiating leadership and people's uh, projecting different things of leadership on me. But you were navigating leadership as a young woman. And I'm wondering how much you, you saw that impact people's misconceptions of you as a leader. A lot, especially I think it comes down to as women, we're not taught about how our body feels. Um, we're often trying to take up less space in rooms. We're often, it's a lot about how I look. So uh, it, my outfit choice was really important. I spent a lot of hours wasting <laughs> my life of just what well, my hair, my makeup, my jewelry, handbag, like everything. Um, how can I be the most professional? How can I look so much older? I often, at the Capitol, I was really young and I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I joke that I left I had my whole political career before I could legally drink. So I left by age 21 and, uh, it's, it really mattered a lot of how I looked. And that was a huge issue at times, um, depending on the person perceiving me. So with some men, I was invited to certain circles, you know, to drink after work, um, or, you know, do you just hang out in a different space, um, with older women, uh, several times I had run-ins and they would like at the, at the Capitol once when I was 18, I'd always dress professional. And I was actually told that I couldn't walk onto the floor of the house of representatives that day because of my, of my outfit choice, because my skirt like offended this woman Mm. and she um, was in a powerful position. Mm. So that amount of shaming, and I've had this happen actually several times and, uh, always dress professional and I'm always shocked and I didn't realize it in the moment how hurtful that was. Years later, I'm able to look back and, and really, um, you know, look back on that moment and deconstruct it a little bit. But in that moment, it was devastating to a young woman trying to find her space in the world and have older women really constantly, um, actually they were the ones who were sexualizing me Mm. (laughs) in, in a lot of contexts that I was not. Um, and I heard from many of my colleagues who were also other chiefs of staff and other interns. Oh, wow. You're so much smarter than, than you look. And Mm -hmm. I heard that a lot from, from male colleagues of mine. Smarter than you look. 
Yeah, they were always really shocked. Wow, you just, you're, and back then I was blonde. Um, (laughs) Now I'm a redhead. Um, So it was very, very sad, I think. But getting back to my original point too, when I worked as a hospital chaplain as well, I've worked in a lot of different systems. And what always works for me is to be myself, to be unapologetically myself. And as I've grown I've grown into myself, but also having allies, finding allies and women are really good at that. And that's where my heart goes out to some men. I'm like, you guys can bond too. I was all, I mean, I was always so isolated in, in the systems and it wasn't because I didn't reach out to folks. It was just because in the system, it just didn't seem like an expectation um, of mine to connect with other people, even when I, you know, I might have desperately needed it while I was coming to terms with like what my authority was and, and all of that. Uh, just real quick, one thing that you said that was interesting um, was that it was women that were mostly giving you a hard time, like older women, and then men uh, treating you in a different way, maybe some good ways, some not, I don't know. Oh, I was definitely so ignorant at that time. I now look back and I was like, oh, I was the only woman in this room Mm -hmm. at 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and there was hard alcohol Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not really, like, I didn't understand that at the time. And I did not do anything in those spaces. I never uh, was sexual with any of my bosses or anything like that, but, or any people in positions of power, but I was offered and I would be awkward and laugh it off. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand until years later, oh, wow, that was the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that's misogyny. Oh, that was really inappropriate. I I really, by the grace of God, got out of some of those situations um, relatively unharmed. I think that's what I didn't understand. And now, years later, I look back and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I... Not that I'm not blaming myself, but I am really amazed I wasn't in... More trouble, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. For for me, it's um, it is. I mean, it's a very different experience. But when I um, really was the men that targeted me throughout. Older women always loved me. They were the ones that let me into the room. Maybe it's because I reminded them of their grandchild or Aww. anything. But that was in positions of leadership. That was in the hospital, wherever I served um, as a leader. That's that's who loved me, <laughs> right? Um, but you mean men though of all ages. So yeah, men, mostly men of all ages, mostly older men, um, where they didn't see me as their equal, even when we were hired to do the exact same job. Uh, men that were above me uh, in terms of age thought they were above me in terms of value to the organization. So for example, for a time, I worked at the American Friends Service Committee, um, and my job was to help that organization uh, essentially help people in prison who were wrongfully convicted plead their case in court. Um, and in that role, I was I was more of a clerk, I guess you could say, like a, a law clerk for their organization. And there was a man that I worked with who was about, you know, 10 years older than me, doing the exact same job, very different lives. And it was fascinating every time we talked just how much venom, I guess, was in was in his voice for me. Um, and I, eventually I, I talked to him, like, uh, I think a year after we stopped working together, and I said, you never really liked me, did you? And he was like, no, because I didn't, we shouldn't have been the same level. Like, we just shouldn't have been there. And it took me a long time to, to unpack that um, because he had assumed because of my age that my leadership wasn't as good as his. Um, and that was fascinating to me. Whereas the women that I was working with at the time, I felt 
treated me as an equal. Um, and you I'm not, were his competition. Yeah, right. And I think that that's, I see it from both sides as well. Mm-hmm. I hate to be that, both sides. <laughs> good people on both sides. Uh, not always. Um, but I do, I don't think that he, you know, I don't, I don't believe in being mean, of course. Mm-hmm. But I do understand, though, of people like, feeling like they pay their dues Mm -hmm. and someone younger comes straight out of college or something. And I I see that from that perspective too. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. And I think that that's the beauty of the conversation of, of dealing with that conflict head on. And that's a good leader. And that's a good manager of someone who actually cultivates that kind of transparency. Um, because resentment is the worst kind of, that's the venom Mm -hmm. that you were experiencing in that situation. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, he was kind of a jerk too, but, um, that's, but I, I hear what you're saying <laughs> on that. There were just, there were other factors at play there. It wasn't just the age thing. Um, uh, but for the, for the age thing, like when I was a young leader in the hospital as a chaplain and I got my chaplaincy start when I was 24 years old and, you know, I was serving, um, one of the, you know, number one trauma units for psych in the city of New York. Um, and I had so many doctors and nurses when I walked into the room tell me, oh, okay, when's the real chaplain getting here? You know, mm-hmm. oh, when's the real, when's the real pastor going to be here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm it. It's 3 a.m. and I'm the one that's staying overnight and I've been hired to do this job. And they're like, oh, okay, well, just, you know, send your supervisor in the morning. Um, and I, you know, I can't tell you how many times mm-hmm. that happened to me. And part of it was how I was pre- Projected, but also in ministry in particular in the United States, um, I think there is this conception that younger ministers have no idea what they're doing or they don't have the life experience or, and maybe it depends on the tradition. I don't know. Well, I think also ministers are looked at as, and good leaders and good, and like CEOs and anyone at the, at the top or whatever, right? This authority of morality, of uh, vision and direction that we're going in. And so I think that, especially as a chaplain, it's about someone's life journey. And so they think, oh, this person can't handle it. And they also think I, the word I often got was cute or something or like, oh, you're called to do something in ministry or like, oh, that's adorable. That's not, we think of wisdom as this old white man on a rock or something or you know also I think of like Star Wars and in this last couple last episodes of Star Wars of just they, they grew up right and this this wise like Jedi feel right Yoda's really really like how many hundreds of years old or something mm-hmm. that's what people think wisdom is 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 time span and I don't think that that's always accurate when it comes to leadership and I think that being revolutionary in your leadership and cutting edge. Um, you could be any age and be revolutionary and be interesting. Um, it doesn't have to be an older or young thing. But I think that, I think it's interesting that you brought up Star Wars, actually, if we can digress for a second. So I was recently for work, I was in uh, Romania and I flew, it was a nine hour flight to get over there. And I finally got to watch um, the more recent Star Wars movies. Um, and it's, I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm late, so I'll, I'll try not to spoil it for anyone who is you also as not. late. <laughs> But it was fascinating to watch some of the um, the older actors come back, right? And I won't I won't say who for spoiler reasons, but um, to to see them come back and see them play very different 
roles because you see, you know, folks like in the first few movies, uh, you know, the it is kind of the older man, the older Obi-Wan Kenobi, or it's the Han Solo, or it's the, the older men that are kind of like leading the charge of wisdom, um, where in these newer films, you see it very different, right? It's the, the women and that aliens and the other people who are, um, that even in our media, there seems to be a new way of depicting leadership that isn't the old style. Yes. And I think that we're seeing that more and more now. I, t- I totally agree with that. I mean, just like we said with Google too, it's happening in all facets. And I think media actually wrote a whole paper about this in seminary, that media and film and TV shows are really, um, the chaplain for an emotionally bankrupt society. And so we don't really have the language about emotionality or spirituality or holistic health at all. Uh, We have quick fixes and Band-Aids and consumption. So media serves as a chance to cry, right? Like you're watching a show on Netflix or you're you're like you on a plane watching Star Wars. Mm And you're allowed to cry, you're allowed to get angry, you're allowed to grieve, you're allowed to feel elated and joyful and mystical and maybe in love or whimsical, all of that. And the film becomes the mirror because our society is not doing that to itself anymore. And I think that's a huge piece of ethical and and holistic leadership is people that mirror back the holistic um, experience that someone is having and a leadership role is someone who dives into those emotions and dives into that uncharted territory and has a vision through it and is intentional through it. And I think that's what those people were scared about on those psych units Mm -hmm. that you came in and they were like, oh, you're young, but really you were saying this is uncharted territory. Trauma psych unit, all uncharted territory. No, no, I I think that's um, a really good point. I think that um, that's why we consider, you know, this wide umbrella of what leadership can look like. I think historically, when people talk about leaders, they think about political leaders and they think about um, economic leaders. Uh, but really, what? Well, and now can we just say that mm. those people are the same people? Well, right, exactly. So now they've they've, they've merged. Well, they They're and they in did a relationship for, with each other for a long <laughs> it time. Needs to be a little bit more separation. All right. Well, but that's that's why it's important now as we go into the future to really allow people to claim leadership in all the different places in the world. And that's why artists are increasingly trying to claim their leadership because they are leaders and they are that moral mirror for society, for what we're going through. And I think it's important that for us in leadership development organizations, we continue to to center that, to center all the different types of leadership and not just the classic idea, what leadership used to look like Mm -hmm. 100 years ago. It's also the impact on culture. And that's where media comes in and that's where tech comes in and and nuanced businesses and startups, Uh, not just politicians. I think that that was the classic way of, okay, the government is what impacts society. Society. No, nowadays the government sometimes is the last thing to impact society. We can know things at the top, at the tip of our fingers nowadays. I get most of my news from social media, so I don't need the classic structures anymore. I'm looking towards leaders, and the way that they frame things matters, and that's why it's so important to have intentional and awake leadership, and not people asleep at the wheel, um, just reperpetuating that wheel too. The old version. It's, Got some cracks in it. So for us, like, what what do we wish people saw in our leadership? Like, for you, what are people missing from your leadership? Mm -hmm. I thought about this today because I'm the CEO of the faith space, 
And I don't think that there's a lot of women CEOs in the world, and I certainly don't think that they're uh, 31 often. And so just by me showing up in this space is pretty radical. I wish that people saw that capability when I walked into a room a little bit easier. And then I didn't have to prove it so much and I didn't have to, I mean, there's always an ROI. There's, you know, and a, a unique value proposition as well, but I don't need to always prove it. I, I really wish that people just received good leadership and I didn't have, like, I feel like I've spent most of my life fighting to just get in the room, fighting to just, like you said, like these people looked at you as a chaplain. I had that every day as a chaplain. Um, which is why I left hospital work because it was so disheartening. It was, I just wanted to do good work for people and I couldn't because no one cared about what I would say. No one cared what the patient was saying. And I was often the advocate for the patient. Mm -hmm. So I'm now an advocate for the people that I coach and for the people that are part of the faith space. Um, and, and for really the marginalized in our society, because we need this deep systemic change. So I, I wish that people saw that effortlessly. So I feel like we spend a lot of time as leaders just kind of pushing through all those barriers instead of doing the thing that we were sent to do. If I didn't have to spend more than half my time translating my leadership, if I could just do the damn thing. For me, it's it's along those lines. It's about demonstrating value and how no matter where I go, because um, generally because I'm younger, but also for, for other reasons, if I'm new to any sort of system, um, that I need to demonstrate my value somewhere first. I need to spend the first like three years paying my dues before I can actually be taken seriously in in organization, um, and uh, you know, I do in in my ministry. I've done a lot of work with teenagers, which who have these like radical ideas that you know, some of which are a little pie in the sky, but some of which are like real radical and transformative for the world, and could transform the world if we let them. And so often, all I've heard from them is, "Okay, well, but they won't let us do it." Like, oh, they won't give us the space to do it. They don't trust us to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to throw out the entire old guard to make room for, you know, newness. But I think that, that even that binary is where we get caught. It's like it's either old or new. Mm-hmm. We're really, if we're all in this together and we're all trying to create a better world that's transformed in the power of love and acceptance, then we need to listen to all the voices, Right? We need to listen to the voices that are coming up just as much as the voices that have got us here in the first place. And that's also the consultant paradigm as well. Like That's why people pay extra money to have someone from the outside come in who's not familiar with the day-to-day because they have a different paradigm. That's what I love about what we can do with our coaching clients. I love coming in for just a short amount of time, not too long. I mean, you can make a huge impact with just coming from the outside and viewing things in a different way. And I think that instead of people responding with fear and just immediate defensiveness and rejection to the new or different, sometimes it's actually not even new. Sometimes it's so ancient it's hilarious to me sometimes, like the, some of the ways that our structures and our systems could actually be transformed in our society are to go back, not just hundreds, but maybe thousands of years in some ways. And the going back to then go forward is really fascinating as well. But I think that if people don't get out of their own way with the, with the fear, how can we move forward? And actually they keep themselves paralyzed. They keep like the old guard, as you called them. The old guard. They, they do guard it, right? There's a reason why it's called that. They're guarding that space. Well, great, but you're guarding a jail cell. 
and you're and you know who's inside there yourself like your organization so if you really want something new and expansive and radical and to the and root do it <laughs> you know like yeah then invite it. it in but you yeah. have to be brave enough to ask people to come in. You have to be brave enough to invite it in. And I think that every single coaching client I work with, that's what I tell them. Like, thank you. You are bold enough and courageous enough to take the first step. But that's like 90% of it right there. Right. Well, and so I don't, I don't want to throw, uh, you know, the old guard under the bus completely because we've inherited some, some good stuff from them as well. And it is time to envision a new way of leadership in the world. It's just the way things are going, but also it's important that it's done intentionally. And so I'm wondering, uh, as we get towards closing this episode, if we could just talk about in a hundred years, what should leadership look like to us? What do we envision leadership being? I like the envisioning question. I don't, I don't like to say should. Sure. I don't want to tell people all the time, no, should on yourself. Um, what will it look like in a hundred years? Just completely expansive. I think the equation of or the recipe for amazingness really is freedom. Give someone liberation and see where it takes you. Boom. I mean, boundaries expanded. Boom. But, but for real, it's really an explosive moment and it becomes an opportunity. And I think that when people get out of their own way and they release that fear, they realize, oh, I'm keeping myself small and the leap is really the opportunity and the unknown. So I don't really want to define where leadership is in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be the most expansive thing we've ever really seen. And it's going to be the most authentic and vulnerable. And that's where the strength is. And that's where I loved your question. In the beginning of this episode was about strength. And that's where I think that we are going to go is our strength will be actually rooted in our vulnerability and our authenticity and our radical openness, because that's where those new ideas are coming from. And I I think, um, we started this conversation also talking about, um, different, uh, different people being able to, a diversity of people, I guess I should say, being in positions of leadership. And although, like with Google, we've taken some strides, we have so much further to go as a society and as a world in allowing everyone to have a voice at the leadership table. Um, And so my hope is for those folks uh, out there listening who really don't know what their place is at the table or don't know if they even have a place at the table or have just been told straight out that they don't, uh, that they continue to, to try, that you continue to try to find your place at that table. And if, you know, you don't find your place at that table, then build your own table. <laughs> you know? That's what we've done. <laughs> exactly. I also, though, to compliment that, for the people that actually have a seat at the table, what an amazing, powerful position to be in. And as a person who holds a lot of privilege in this society, I just want to say that, wow, what an opportunity for you to like, join us in this, pass the mic, invite people that you see are not around that table. Utilize your privilege. It is such a glorious experience. It's, it's just, it's, that's the beauty of leadership too, that if you are in a position right now, if you have that power and that privilege, oh my gosh, use it because you will not feel sorry. You will feel expansive and it will be an investment into who you are as a leader and your organization's Uh, power in the world. So in this episode of the Faith Space Podcast, we have discussed misconceptions of leadership. We talked about what leadership has looked like classically over the last 
several hundred years and what we can vision it to be into the future. And we hope that we can continue that conversation to be alive and to flourish about, well, what can we dream leadership to be? How is it different from where we've been before? Because, you know, Lord knows it has to be. Um, we have a lot of crises in our world right now, most notably the climate crisis, and we need strong and effective leaders out there doing the work. And the only way that we get there is by continuing to vision what leadership can look like at its core. Amen. I love that. If you are called in any way to participate in what we're doing, you can join our membership at thefaithspace.org. We also have a few slots still open for some coaching clients, uh, so check it out as well on that website. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. Release that red tape and know that you are powerful. Take up space in your world. Enter in with courage and curiosity into the opportunity to evolve into the best leader that you can be. We are grateful for you. We know your purpose. We know your place in this world. Thank you for being a part of it. You are blessed and a blessing. 